Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chizeski Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We will touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. So you may have realized that for a while now, we have changed our intro to not say that we are two statisticians in academia. Yeah, what happened to that, Susan? (laughs) Well, I switched out of academia and went into an industry job. So for this episode, in the spirit of full disclosure, I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about what that transition is like. Let's get started. Okay, Susan, so how long has it been since you left Yale? Um, We should clarify that you are all the way out in California now. Yeah, it's been quite a change of scenery. Um, Well, as of the moment of this recording, it's not been too long. I left at the end of June, kind of right before the New England humid summer came into full swing. Um, The interview process started much earlier, and I think maybe that would be fun to talk about. Um, The process there started sometime around January or February. Yeah, so uh, what kind of positions were you looking at? So I'm inclined to say that I really just looked at the whole field, whole job market. I, I want to say that I looked at a wide range of data position, data science positions, um, but realistically, I didn't. I didn't actually go for that many just because of timing restrictions. Um, but I did sort of consider sort of the positions that were mid-level seniority to really senior positions. Um, and it really varies because at some companies they want to see industry experience before they consider you for a senior level position. And you can probably guess what those are. And then there are other companies that would value your experience in academic research because, hey, you know, that feels like independently leading a project, managing undergraduate or graduate students isn't too different from managing um, people on the job as well. Yeah, no, I agree. That, that, that makes sense. Um, so were you applying to a lot of companies? I began the process with, um, I would say, maybe about 10, maybe maybe not more than 10, probably even less than 10, probably sort of like 8 to 10. Um, but then the semester was happening, and most of the positions were out west, so I didn't really follow through on many of the interviews. So would you just then apply through the company's websites, um, or, or what are the main websites for job hunting as a data scientist? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm afraid I mostly relied on personal contacts. In fact, I recall distinctly that I had sent my resume to an acquaintance who said that his company was actually no longer hiring, but he had a couple of friends who were more than happy to refer me. So a lot of companies have very generous incentives for referrals, so that really helps um, sort of this this system of generosity between friends and friends of friends who are just really happy to help pass in your resume. Um, I may have used LinkedIn also to look at some openings and apply, um, but I didn't hear back from those applications. So for me, referrals are really the best way to get your resume seen and get a call back as soon as possible. Great, yeah, so then what was the interview process like? And as you might expect, it varies between companies. So mostly you start with a phone screening with a recruiter uh, so that they could get a feel for how serious you are with applying for the position. And after that round, the next step is usually some form of technical interview. Some of these interviews will emphasize statistical methodology, um, coding in R or Python. They kind of are pretty agnostic about what language you use familiarity with databases, 
and um, I guess more serious statistical inference. So there are a lot of what if type questions. So things like, if we had a data problem structured like this, how would you deal with it? What are the specific questions you would ask? What are the techniques you would try? Now for me personally, I struggled most with sort of the database portion questions because you know they asked a little bit about SQL queries. How would you do this sort of query to aggregate data from a database? And I hadn't touched SQL in so long. It was all in the cobwebs of, of my brain. <laughs> well, and I also recall you mentioning that some companies would actually give you like something like a take-home project. Yeah, and there were some companies that will provide a take-home project as a precursor to an on-site interview. And I've read several opinions about this online. On the one hand, it is in theory pretty nice to have more relevant data problems that you can, you know, look at and and pour over and really just play around with in, in a real setting to demonstrate the applicability of your skill set. On the other hand, this creates somewhat of an unfairness because not everybody has time to set aside something like a 48 hour um, you know time slot to dedicate to the project so I had basically decided to defer such projects as long as possible I told myself that I'd only do it if my other interview processes <laughs> were that were farther along you know if they had gone south so maybe for people like me this interview strategy would not be the best because it would just automatically help me deprioritize the company Although maybe these are fine if, you know, they want to weed out people who are not committed enough. So people like myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like you said, that's hard to, I mean, if, if people, let's say they're changing jobs um, to find 48 hours, that's that's really tricky. So Yeah, and it also limits how many companies you could be interviewing with at the same time, right? If you had, <laughs> like, say, two companies that were simultaneously going to be giving you 48-hour projects, then it's kind of like, well, I can either do that in two separate weekends and really just mess up my weekend schedule or just try to squeeze both into the same weekend. Yeah, and that's it's hard just because, you know, people need rest, too, from long work weeks. and um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I totally understand why a comp- it would be appealing for a company to, to do it. Um, but, okay, so, so what are the on-site interviews like? They're kind of a mix. So you might interview with some non-technical people, uh, maybe other stakeholders within the company that will have to consume the data analyses that you produce. So they will ask questions about your background, uh, maybe a few behavioral questions to probe your teamwork skills or leadership skills. Um, I found that there's one particular kind of question that really knocks me off my horse. Um, I got asked, what are you most proud of and what gets you really excited? And just for the first question, for example, it's really hard to shift my mindset from humility in teamwork to now the other end. And it's a question that is kind of a double-edged sword because you want to make sure you say something that is worth being not just proud of, but also most proud of but you don't want to sound like you're too arrogant. <laughs> yeah, no, th- that, those are hard questions. I, I don't know what I would say to either of them um, because it's like, what if what you're most proud of has nothing to do with, I mean, obviously you, you want to think in terms of like what you're interviewing for and what your job skills are, not just in general right. in life, but <laughs> I feel like my, my mind would go more to like the life side of things. Like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm most proud of, you know, it's something that has nothing to do with data science. <laughs> but then at least you were honest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, um, okay, so did they also ask you then technical questions on site? 
Yeah, um, they they definitely have those as well, um, because you, in in the phone technical interview, there's only so much ground they can cover. So funny story, at one of my on-site interviews, I was asked a minimum sample size required question. So, you know, the typical, if you wanted to achieve a certain level of confidence and some margin of error, what's the number of people you have to survey? So I got this right away. And part of it was because that very day, my intro stats class back at Yale was taking an exam and one of their exam questions was exactly this type of a question. So it was pretty fresh in my mind. Well, that works out really well. <laughs> Maybe they actually somehow got a hold of your, your test and just wanted to make sure you know yeah. you knew what you Maybe put on it. Throwing <laughs> softballs. <laughs> so, okay, so so obviously the interviews went well for you because you did end up leaving. Um, and where did you end up going? Have we heard of this company before? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, first of all, Jesse, of course, you and I haven't talked, so you have no idea where I am. I am I, uh, completely clueless. So we may have on occasion mentioned my new company in a few of the episodes here. I now work for Google. Um, Google has quite a few products you may have heard, including YouTube, and that's sort of the division that I work in. And, uh, and then what does this mean for our podcast going forward? Yeah, so I've thought about this. How how do we um how do we re- maintain par- impartiality? Um, obviously, Google produces a ton of really cool innovations that always seem to intersect with artificial intelligence, um, and in some cases, I might know more than what's out in the news. I won't be able to share those bits of information, unfortunately. Um, and also, again, I, I don't want this podcast to have a Google slant anyway. So I think you and I, we're, you're going to watch me. I'm still going to be on my best behavior. And we'll continue to report on the news from our usual sources. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds great. And just as you said, I mean, Google comes out with so many things. We can't not talk about Google. Um, yep. So, yeah, so that sounds great. Um, so, so a couple months in, um, is a new job what you expected or were there some surprises? Well, for the most part, it is sort of what I expected. Um, I can't exactly paint a picture of my day-to-day job yet because there's just a lot of ramping up on internal stuff at the moment. So, uh, But there are a lot of open questions to tackle. So data scientists often work pretty closely with engineers um, and other sort of business side stakeholders to help measure the impact of, say, new features on usage um, and and when we work with marketing and other and other st- senior stakeholders within the company, um, we, we really want to make sure that we provide them helpful metrics. We're talking about metric again. <laughs> to, to sort of stay on top of the health of the business. And then, of course, sometimes data scientists will produce the very numbers or models that are directly consumed by the end user. So I, I really do enjoy that there's a lot of different audiences that we work with. I, I enjoy these cross-functional collaborations, and I appreciate having the motivation and context, um, monetary or otherwise, driving some of these projects. So what aspects of statistics or data science would you say is somewhat undervalued in academia relative to industry? Yeah, this is a question I've actually thought about a lot in the first few weeks on the job. Um, I feel like in academia, at least in the problems that I dealt with or read about, 
research studies have a pretty well-defined beginning and end. So, for example, when we think about the study we critiqued in episode 30 about how temperature preferences differ between males and females, the whole process of the project involved obtaining the data, analyzing it, and then writing a report to close it off. That's pretty standard. And that's the end, until some other researcher, or maybe yourself, you decide to come back and do a follow-up study. Now, in industry, the start and end of an experiment um, doesn't have to be so well-defined if data can be easily collected. So you're always collecting data, and actually the population is always changing as well. So something controversial could have come up in the news, and that might affect some of the quantities we are measuring to monitor the health of the business or, or sort of the perception of a new feature. Uh, maybe a product has just become available to customers in a new region or a new country, and you need to say something about how successful that launch is, but you don't have enough data yet. So what, what could you use to inform that analysis? What do you quantify? And then overall, if you're tracking, say, the monthly increase in, in usage as a measure of the health of the product, how do you separate out the effects of launching in a new country versus whatever natural rate of increase would have occurred without the new launch? So there are no clear answers here. Yeah, that all sounds really cool. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, you may have to add even more as you continue in your, your new role. So, uh, so we look forward to hearing, you know, all the kind of new projects and things you work on that, that you can share. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and just it'll be nice having the kind of the contrast between industry and academia perspective. So I'm looking yeah, forward as to this. Yeah, I'm sure you and I will probably have some different perspectives that we can bring to the table as we talk about certain things. Yeah, well, great. Well, uh, hope that um, as you get acquainted, better acquainted with the new role, things continue to, to go well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any questions or suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. That's databytes with a Y. And if you want to see the numerous articles that served as reference material for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.